Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name's Scott Jennison, uh, Streamline Property Buyers in Brisbane, and I'm the Acquisitions Manager. Yes, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm Melinda Jennison, Managing Director here at Streamline Property Buyers. Um, some would say data nerd, and therefore today's episode's right up my alley because we've got some really fascinating data that we have collated to share with you today. Um, but uh, we're not just going to share the data, we're actually going to talk through and interpret this to help you understand and make meaning of, of this information. And we're wanting to answer the question, um, is high growth and high yield achievable here in Brisbane? And we're not just going to look at the last two or three years because that's a blimp in the radar and we know everywhere grew off the back of COVID, but we're going to track back 10 years um, to see what's happened in different locations across Brisbane. We're going to be looking at the data at a suburb level, and this is going to help to draw our attention to high yielding locations and what the growth has been in those areas, and then high growth locations and what the yield is in those areas. And that's going to give us a much better understanding of um, that question, is high growth and high yield achievable here in Brisbane? Yeah, not a lot of research obviously goes into this information. Uh, another shout out to Pauline for the work she's doing behind the scenes for us um, and Melinda obviously putting all this information together. Um, if Look, if you want to share obviously the information and, and help people out with what we're doing and trying to help people in property in Brisbane, just tell them to Google Brisbane Property Podcast and then they can obviously subscribe. Um, little little tricks and tips on that obviously, Melinda, if they do uh, subscribe, they'll get a bit of information. Yes, the data that we're going to go through today is available exclusively for our subscribers. If you are already a subscriber, you would have received this by email today. Now, if you're not a subscriber, don't miss out next time. All you need to do is check out the show notes below. There will be a link to subscribe to our podcast, which means you will get an email every Thursday when our new podcast is released. And when we are giving away valuable information, you're not going to miss out. Those that are, are already subscribers, um, you guys are the lucky ones for this episode because the data that we are going to be talking through will be available for you at no cost um, so that you can analyze it in whatever way you wish. Um, but obviously you can look at this data in its raw form um, and get a really good understanding of, of how we've created this podcast and interpreted this information. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. And it's just something we've, we've thought we'd help our listeners with because some people I'm a little bit the same I, I like to actually look at the information that's in front of me as well as hearing it some people can get away with just hearing it um well done you but uh, if, if you like to look at that information we, we thought if we can send that out to our listeners the ones that um, like to subscribe and um, listen to the podcast then we can share that information you can listen to it and hopefully uh put them all together um just just as well before we do start on all the information here this is regarding housing market not unit market that's right. So um, shout out to Pauline, as Scott mentioned earlier, Pauline has collected all of this information. It is CoreLogic data. It is the CoreLogic data available from the app, which is downloadable on a phone if you have an RP data subscription. So this is relevant data up to the time of recording, which is the 31st of May. And this information um, has enabled us to answer the question, is high growth and high yield achievable here in Brisbane? So looking forward to getting into it. Yeah. Now, before we do, obviously, I don't want to tease too many people down south, but 
spoke to my parents and they uh, said it was minus, I think, nearly five degrees back in Tamworth in New South Wales. Um, it's not that here in Brisbane. So uh, beautiful winter weather up here we get um, where it's crisp in the morning, um, but that sun's out in the day and it's actually beautiful. So they're thinking coming up to enjoying winter up here. And I think a lot of people would like to do that. So before, as we jump in, um, so the top 10 um, of the high yielding suburbs, um, I'll just run through them. And then obviously Melinda can throw a bit of information your way. So Kingston, Riverview, Woodridge, North Bival, Logan Central, Bundamba, Waterford West, East Ipswich, Rockley, and Waterford. Now, I'll just touch on that. There's one suburb in that all that top list that's actually in the Brisbane City Council um, area, which is Rockley. Um, the others are all in Ipswich or Logan. That is correct. So these are the top 10 um, highest yielding suburbs according to current CoreLogic data. Now, um, I'm just going to put um, something out there that I always like to point out because data is only as good as what it is made up of. And if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you will understand um, some of the hesitation I have with relying on median data a lot of the time, especially when there is compositional bias um, or properties that are selling that are quite different to each other. We are looking at um, a yield value that is being calculated off the back of the current median value in these suburbs. Um, and also the current median weekly asking rent. So yields are off the basis of two medians. So there may be some um, data ambiguity. I'm just gonna put that out there up front. That said, data is um, what we have to rely on. Um, I know there's a lot of investors that make decisions um, purely based on data, which I think is a big mistake. I think overlaying data with local knowledge is absolutely <coughs> critical. Um, but I just wanted to point out that we are specifically talking to the data today um, about the highest yielding locations and the highest growth locations, which we will get to in the second part of the podcast. So when we're looking at the top yielding locations, um, Kingston hitting the top of the list has a current yield of 5.54% um, and Waterford in 10th place um, has a current yield of 5.15%. What's interesting um, is that out of these top 10, I've just looked at the average yield for these properties and that sits at 5.36%. So not bad yields for a house, um, certainly much more than any investor might expect if they're looking to buy in the likes of Sydney or Melbourne. I think yields like that for a house would be um, unheard of. Um, and it, I know yields excite a lot of investors, um, but it's really important to understand you know, how those yields stack up against growth when we're looking long-term. So the, the current median in all those, again, we've you've gone through them. So the, you're going from about $580,000 down to around that four twenty or three seventy nine actually um, is the medium with, with an average then of 461800 So um, that's not a surprise. Generally, higher yielding locations are areas where uh, property values are lower. Um, and, you know, we're obviously achieving a higher weekly asking rent. A lot of the time, um, areas where there's been some new construction around, they can be higher yielding areas. Tenants will pay more for um, a newer property. So newer estates can often be higher yielding areas as well. Um, the median weekly asking rent in these top 10 highest yielding suburbs in Brisbane is sitting at $443 per week. So 
with a current median value across these top 10 at 461,800, current median asking rent at $443 per week. We're looking at that average yield of 5.36% across the top 10 highest yielding locations. So if, I, if I'm looking to invest in, in a bit of a longer term play, um, what about the 10 year median value changes? And this is where I think um, it is so important for investors to look long term at the data trends and not just what might have happened over the last um, two to three years or, or, or three to five years even. Um, we look at 10 year median value changes in these suburbs and we can see that um, on average, the top 10 highest yielding locations um, have achieved 77.01% um, change in growth. So that's the change in the median value over the last 10 years. Um, why that number is important is because that is the capital growth. Depending on how you're leveraging the property, that can potentially exacerbate your returns. Every property investor obviously has very different circumstances around First of all, what um, their borrowing capacity might be, which will determine um, how much they are able to spend on an investment property. And every property investor may have different serviceability requirements as well. For example, I know when we're working with a lot of investors and I'm conducting strategy sessions because being a qualified property investment advisor, I like to give tailored investment advice based on an individual's unique circumstances. When we're dealing with an investor um, who is purchasing in their own name and they are on the highest marginal tax bracket, um, it's something that we always must consider, especially if we're looking at properties that, um, that might be higher yielding properties, any properties that might be producing income or look to produce income too soon in the accumulation phase can provide or can compromise the tax position for that property investor. And this is where getting strategic advice up front from um, the mortgage broker in terms of how to structure your finance as well as your tax accountant in terms of what structure might be best for you is so important. And obviously working with a qualified property investment advisor will ensure that you're buying an asset that not only aligns with your investment goals and, and circumstances, but also um, your, your tax position. And that becomes absolutely critical when we're providing um, our, our information and advice to our clients. Now, now, keep in mind some of those averages. Um, and, and the reason I'm saying that is that what we will do at the end of this, um, and the reason for this is, is that we will we'll share some examples. And we've put, Melinda's put together a bit of an example to help me understand the difference between uh, high growth and high yield. So obviously what will, the reason we've not just gone through all the numbers, apart from it being boring going through all the numbers, uh, is that we've, we've gone to an average and we'll give you a bit of an example and, and help explain what this is all about and what we're talking about as we get towards the end of it. So they're, they're the top yielding locations. What I would like to um, go through now are the top growth locations across all of Greater Brisbane over the last 10 years. Again, it's the same data from CoreLogic. It is still at a suburb level, so we do need to treat it with a grain of caution, but I know people love hearing what are the top 10 growth locations off the back of data. So here they are. So we've got Scarborough, New Farm, Camp Hill, Acacia Ridge, Clontarf, Brighton, Kangaroo Point, Benyo, Hawthorne and Chapel Hill. Now, what is interesting about this top 10 growth list is that all but two of these suburbs are within the Brisbane City Council region. Um, none of these suburbs are actually in the Ipswich or Logan Council um, shires um, and two of the suburbs are in the Moreton Bay region. So 
when we're looking at the top growth locations, um, the highest um, growth that's been achieved over the last 10 years, according to current data, is 121% over 10 years. Um, and out of the top 10, the lowest growth is 105.3% out of those suburbs. So that gives us an average growth in the top 10 suburbs of Brisbane of 110.48%. Can you recall what I said the average growth was in the high yielding locations? I'll help everyone because I've got the bit of paper in front of me. So, <laughs> so as Melinda said then, the, those top areas at the bottom, 1108 the other um, 10 areas that we talked about, 77.01%. That's a big change. It is a big change. And for most investors, that's just a number on paper. Um, where it becomes relevant is when we're assessing the ongoing compounding effect that a change in growth like that can have on a property's value over time. And that's going to be part three of this podcast. We are really going to unpack in quantifiable numbers what that difference actually looks like. When we look at the um, median value of the top growth locations, it's very different to the median value of the top yielding locations. And again, this is why it's important for investors to um, understand what is going to be right for them, because the current median of the high growth locations is over $1 million. We are at $1,175,500. Now, admittedly, that's not going to be an achievable investment price point for a lot of property investments. It's certainly an achievable price point for um, many of the investors that we would work with, but that's very different to the median of the higher yielding locations, which is 461,800. When we're looking at um, the yields, however, for the high growth locations, um, the yields are significantly lower. So therefore, high growth usually corresponds with lower yields. The average yield for the top 10 growth suburbs in Brisbane is sitting at uh, 3.42%. Now, actually, that's not as bad. Um, Again, when we compare that to the yields that you'd achieve in the likes of Sydney and Melbourne, it's still actually pretty good. Um, and what I'd love to do is compare some of the, the 10 year median value changes in, in suburbs in Sydney to see whether they're actually attracting um, um, similar values as well. And, and then the rental side of it. So the 10 year medium asking rent on those that bottom lot. So um, in terms of the top growth locations, uh, we can look at the average change in the 10 year median weekly asking rents, and that's been 45.3% over the last 10 years. Um, In the higher yielding locations, rents don't grow quite so quickly. So if we're holding for a 10-year period, we we achieve, based on past performance, 42% growth in rents. So a little bit of a change there, not as significant as the change in the growth rate, though. So this is um, interesting information. When you visually look at this information, it becomes um, blatantly obvious that when you're buying high yielding locations, you are doing so at the compromise of capital growth. When you're buying in high growth locations, there will definitely be definitely be a compromise on yield. Generally, however, um, and, and that is a general statement because you can still buy in a higher growth location and achieve a slightly higher yield if you focus a little less on the land to asset ratio, meaning you're getting into that location, but you might be buying an asset that has a smaller land content within that location. And therefore, 
um, an asset that has uh, more bedrooms or more bathrooms that enable um, you to charge a slightly higher rent. When you're charging a slightly higher rent in a location um, where you're, you've got that capital growth and the capital growth drivers, generally the, the yield will be slightly higher than, than targeting a lot of land content. Not all land is created equal. So generally we find in those higher growth locations, um, smaller blocks of land um, can still actually achieve those growth targets as opposed to moving further out just to maintain the size of the block of land because the value of land is very different depending on where you buy. So I, just a real quick summary before we do that example. So a 10-year median in the higher yielding area, the highest on that, we know what the average was, the highest was 89.2 and the highest in the um, the other properties, the High growth areas as 121%. So quite a, quite a big difference. Absolutely. And if you want to break that down even further, we're looking across a 10-year period and it's not accurate to just um, divide that number by 10. So if we're looking at, um, you know, across the high yielding locations, an average of 77% growth over the last 10 years, it's not accurate to just divide that number by 10 because remember, this is growth on growth, compounding growth. And there are mathematical equations that we can use to determine the actual annual rate of growth because we've got to consider the compounding effect. But for the purposes of this um, podcast and for simplicity only, uh, we can make an assumption by dividing by 10 um, and that might give us an indication of, of what the, the future might look like for a high yielding location versus a high growth location in quantifiable numbers. So if we assume that um, over the next 10 years, we can achieve the same growth as we have achieved over the last 10 years, we can simply divide that 10 year median value by 10 um, that gives us a number that we can predict forward. Now, um, disclaimer, you will not achieve the same growth in the next 10 years in Brisbane compared to the last 10 years. We had had significant growth in the post-COVID boom and we do not expect that level of growth to be repeated at any time in the foreseeable future. So yes, these numbers will be inflated because they do include that huge boom period throughout the city, which is unlikely to be repeated again in the future. Um, but we're not going to sort of work with artificial numbers. We're going to work with the real data that's in front of us. And, and as we said, the people that have subscribed, or if you do subscribe and you get this information, it, it breaks it down a lot more than just that 10 years. So Melinda's got a lot more information on this spreadsheet um, and you can get that and have a, have a read through it and look at the suburbs and everything broken down. So I, mean, oh, I was just going to say one, one of the questions that we actually often get from new inquiry, especially if someone has a budget of, of one to $1.2 million is, should I buy one asset or should I buy two? Now, a lot of um, investors will, will assume that buying two properties um, provides some diversification in their portfolio. Um, they might uh, focus more on having an asset that is fairly neutrally geared or a lot of people like to focus on um, or, or think that it is important to buy a high cash flow property upfront, something that technically pays for itself. Um, so what we're going to do is look at the actual data based on the last 10 years of performance and compare that to, to what that might look like 10 years from now. Now, I'll let you run through all this information, but I was I was actually going to ask, how did you know I was going to ask that question? Um, <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing that uh, we do get inquiries like that. And I'll be really honest with people. We do get inquiries saying, oh, I want to buy two or look, I've got this amount, but I, I do want to buy two properties. One, one thing, and Melinda will go through this, but one thing to also keep in your mind is the more properties you buy, 
possibly the more hassles you might have because you've got extra tenants, you're dealing with different property managers. So if you buy one property, two, three, four, you're just multiplying the times that you're actually dealing with um, a, a tenant that will, as someone that could have more problems um, when you're buying more property. So just be aware of that. Um, apart from the numbers, which uh, Melinda will run you through a bit of an example now, which um, might be that aha uh -huh moment. It's really interesting because the other thing that I'll pre-frame this information with is that your circumstances will be very, very different to anyone else's circumstances when you're looking to purchase a property. Um, a lot of people that are on high incomes and therefore um, paying tax at the highest marginal tax bracket or the second highest margin, marginal tax bracket, um, the advice that we may give to that type of individual who's purchasing an asset in their own name might be very different to someone who's working on a lower tax bracket. When you go to source a, a mortgage um, for an investment property as well, you'll probably find that your income um, through pay-as-you-go earnings or through your company or, or business activities is going to um, assist to determine your serviceability. A lot of people um, these days, it's not their equity position that holds them up with lending, it's their serviceability, the ability to service the loan. And so if you're already a higher income earner, your serviceability is going to be more favorably considered by the banks. But if you're a lower income earner, um, you might need to achieve a higher weekly rent in order to actually um, borrow money. So this is very general and it's not considering individual needs and circumstances. And, and I just wanted to pre-frame this information in that regard. If you are a higher income earner and serviceability is not a concern and therefore income now is less important to you, then when we consider um, a specific budget and we answer the question, should we be buying one property using that whole budget or should we break that purchase down into two smaller assets? Based on the actual performance in the last 10 years here in Brisbane, um, the answer is pretty simple and I'm going to run through some of these figures now. So as the example, um, I think you've looked at two, buying two purchases in the, um, in the uh, higher yielding areas. And you've worked this off the average, is that correct? That's right. So if we look at the average median price for an asset in one of the top 10 highest yielding locations in Brisbane, we're working with a median value of $461,800. So if we have a total budget um, to spend that's similar to the median value of the highest capital growth locations here in Brisbane, so our budget's around 1.1 to 1.2 million, um, we could purchase two assets in the higher yielding locations with that budget. So if our property value is 461,800 and we buy two, um, we can make some assumptions using the projection calculators that we have here at Streamline Property Buyers to determine what does this asset look like 10 years from now? So some assumptions that I've used in coming to the determination um, in terms of which, which asset performs better, um, we've assumed that the um, median asking rent is the um, amount of rent achieved over the period of time. We've applied a 2.8% um, growth rate to rent on an annual basis. Now we know rents are growing at a much faster rate than this, but we like to be conservative with our projections. We've assumed a 6% um, interest rate fixed for the entire period. We've also assumed interest only lending for the entire 10 year period. Now, 
what that assumes is that an interest only loan for five years is um, initially taken out and the investor has refinanced that into another interest only loan for another five years. This comes down to mortgage strategy um, and it's not the topic of this, uh, this podcast, but it's something that investors should always be considering. The final assumption that we've made is that the investor has not put any cash down for this purchase. Instead, they've used an equity loan, so they perhaps have um, some equity in their own home and they've been able to borrow off that equity um, and that equity has been used towards the a loan that's covered the cost of um, a 20% deposit as well as the purchase costs. We've assumed um, full stamp duty costs are covered, building and pest costs, conveyancing, buyer's agent fee. We've also um, assumed that at the end of a 10-year period, we've sold the properties. Okay, so we've got selling costs associated with that as well. When we're looking at the data and um, projecting forward 10 years from now, if we purchase one property at 461800 and we look at the past 10-year median value performance in those high-yielding locations and apply a capital growth rate of 7.7%, which is simply the 77% growth divided by 10. I, you'll recall that I mentioned the inaccuracy of that number, but this is just a simple math uh, equation that we're using for the purpose of this podcast. Our property value 10 years from now will be $969,641. We can also ensure we're covering the cost of holding the assets. So we can assume that property management fees are sitting at 8.8%. We've got a letting fee on an annual basis. We can assume a 2% um, vacancy rate uh, for the property and Brisbane's vacancy rate is lower than that again. So these are all of the assumptions. We account for rates, we account for insurance, we account for maintenance and holding costs. And when we, project all of that in the software that we use when we're working really closely with investors, it helps us to understand exactly what this asset will cost us to hold on a weekly basis or how much income this asset is likely to produce for us on a weekly basis. And if your buyer's agent or property investment advisor is not giving you this level of information, you should be asking for it because this is how you make a decision as to whether an asset's going to be right for you or not. It's not the price you pay, it's how much it's going to cost you to hold or how much income it's going to generate for you. So that particular property um, with all of those assumptions um, is going to cost an investor $287 per week. So that's right, even the highest yielding locations in Brisbane, when you're leveraged at 100% plus cost on 6% interest, you're going to have to put cash in to hold that asset. Now, if you've purchased two of those properties, of course, that cost per week doubles. When we look on an annual basis, the amount that you'll be putting into the asset um, in your own cash or, you know, in holding costs is going to be just under $15,000. If we extrapolate that over a 10 year period, you're looking at about $150,000 of cash, assuming um, that all of those assumptions remain unchanged. So over a 10 year period, you're putting in $150,000, two properties, $300,000 to hold those two assets. Um, at the end of that period, if you sell, you will have $419,359 of equity per property. So when we double that, it's going to give you about $838,718 of equity. When we take out our holding costs of $300,000 total, 
we're going to be left with $538,718. Now, I know I have not accounted for any negative gearing benefits, any tax offsets, anything um, that would apply in normal circumstances. These are very basic numbers, but it is just helping to highlight um, an investment principle. So buying two properties in higher yielding locations requires less cash input for, per week, per month, per year, and over the entire investment period, and results in a nice $538,000 of um, profit if you sell. Um, of course, that would be subject to capital gains tax as well. They are the assumptions based on two property transactions. Now, I'll, I'll keep a summary of this for the end because I know that Melinda has all this information here and if you can't keep up with it, I will give a little bit of a really brief summary at the end of it. But then if, if I turn around and I, instead of buying two, I want to buy one. And if you want to buy one and focus on a high growth location, we can use the current median for the top 10 high growth locations in Brisbane, which is sitting at $1,175,500. The current median weekly asking rent for these locations is $660 per week. So using those inputs and not changing anything else within um, our software to project forward, it does significantly impact on the weekly holding costs. That's the first thing to point out. We've got $977 per week as being the weekly holding cost for this asset, which extrapolates to just over $50,000 per annum. Um, so over a 10-year period, you're looking at about $500,000 to hold one asset. That's the cash that you're going to be putting in. Again, there will be tax benefits associated with this. The higher your marginal tax bracket, the more negative gearing benefit you will be able to claim on this cost. But negative gearing is not the reason that we invest in property. Um, it is just um, something that um, happens or something that um, a benefit that you can actually achieve as a result of buying the right types of assets because you don't want to pay money into something that is not growing in value and this is the critical piece of information you must know the growth drivers to um, to make sure you're buying the right location and the right type of asset so when we look forward 10 years from now that asset when we look at the average growth for the high growth locations um, being 110% over a 10 year period. So we can um, take that down to average annual growth of 11%, which again is not accurate because it doesn't consider compounding, but for the purposes of this exercise only. The projected results over 10 years, your property value sitting at $3.338 million. If you were to sell and you were considering all of the holding costs and the selling costs, um, you would be left with um, an equity position of $1,762,000. So that's what you'd walk away with. Yes, that would be subject to capital gains tax. You'd get a 50% tax discount um, on that. However, you, you'll recall I said the holding costs are a lot higher. So if you're paying um, up to $500,000 over a 10-year period, um, we take that cash that you've put into the asset off the equity position that you're left with, we're still left with $1,262,000 because we've purchased a high growth asset. We've actually claimed more tax benefits over the investment period. Um, and we're actually now left with a much greater return, almost double. In fact, more than double the return that we would have actually had if we purchased a high yielding asset. So a quick summary on that. 
scenario one, 538,718. Number two, um, with the higher growth property, that the first one with two properties, second one with one, was $1,262,000. That's a difference of $723,282. Now, remember, these results are probably not likely to be achievable in the foreseeable future because the growth we've had in the last three years in Brisbane before the most recent downturn in property values has been unprecedented. It's not likely to be repeated. But even when we look at um, this data, and this is data that we've been collected for collecting for five and six years since we've been operating this business, um, the data that we had even pre-COVID supported this analysis. And anybody that's worked with us um, will understand just how passionate we are about educating buyers about the importance of understanding the difference between growth and yield and making sure you're selecting an investment property that aligns with your goals, your long-term goals, but also your personal circumstances, because not everybody will be able to afford that high growth asset. And I'm the first to acknowledge that. However, if you are going to purchase um, an asset for a lower value, it's so important. It is so important to understand what is the best asset type for you to buy based on the location drivers for capital growth. And that is something that I think is so important for every investor to get advice on. Um, please do not shop just based on the amount that you can borrow and looking at properties that sell for that budget. Understand what is the compositional makeup of those properties, how much value sits in the land for those properties, how much value sits in the house. Remember, the land is the appreciating part of the asset the property itself depreciates in value over time. So location drives growth, um, the property size drives rent and yield. So a couple of takeaways. Um, there's a lot of information there. And I think, I, look, I think some people will obviously get that and go, wow, that is that is a big, big difference when you're looking to investing in a property. A couple of takeaways. I think one of the big ones is probably one size doesn't fit all. Um, you really need to get that tailored approach. What's gonna see, as Melinda touched on through that information there, Get the advice from someone that knows what they're talking about. Um, you know, Melinda is a qualified property investment advisor. We've got another one in our team here as well, Riley. So um, get that advice from someone that knows what they're talking about. It's not a one size fits all. It needs to suit your income, your taxes, everything that you're trying to achieve um, and have that, that picture and that strategy drawn out for long term. And as I pointed out right at the beginning, um, if you would like access to this data for future episodes where we really are unpacking information and data, um, all you need to do is to become a subscriber. Once you're on our mailing list, every Thursday when we release a new podcast, um, you'll get some show notes, but you'll also get access to any free value add materials that we're going to be supplying to people. This will be um, a fantastic download for those that are already subscribers, but just so you don't miss out next time, um, please follow the link in the show notes, um, enter your details in, and we'll be in touch every Thursday with updates in terms of what we're going to be discussing in, in that episode on the day. Excellent. Well, I think that's been good information for a lot of people. Um, hopefully it helps helps everyone out when they're looking to invest in a property. That's what we're here to do is to help people out. So. I will let Melinda wrap it up as we normally do. Thank you very much for listening again today and uh, take care and bye for now. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, if you love our episodes, please don't forget to share um, the podcast with friends and family. Tell them to head over to Google. Um, just type in Brisbane Property Podcast. They'll be able to find their favourite player and subscribe from there. 
Um, as always, we hope you have enjoyed this episode and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.